Now, adoption. <clears throat> adoption or membership in God's family. What are the benefits of being a member of God's family? <clears throat> we talked uh, last week about justification and uh, and March 9th we talked about justification. And now today we, we've shifted the schedule back by week and so now today we're on adoption. And just a reminder, and Bob already said this, but I'm going to say it again, no class next week, uh, it's Easter Sunday. And so we'll take one week off and then come back uh, the following week on sanctification or growth in Christ-likeness in the Christian life. This is really the whole of the Christian life. So it'll be uh, probably two weeks that we spend on this and uh, a very important topic. Then uh, controversy over different views of baptism in the Holy Spirit and then Perseverance of the Saints. That's the way uh, it'll go. I met a, a fellow in Memphis who listens to this class uh, on the Internet. That's always interesting, kind of surprising, but uh, the, the talks are there. So, hello in Memphis, whoever you are. Um, <clears throat> so this is, uh, to put it in broad context, again, we're talking about the order of salvation or the order of events or blessings that God gives to us <clears throat> as part of the gift of salvation. This is the big picture of what it means to be saved. And uh, it starts way back before uh, the world was made with God choosing us in election. And then the gospel call comes to us. He gives us new spiritual life and regeneration. We repent and believe in conversion. And then God declares us not guilty but righteous in justification. That was as far as we got at the end of last week. Today we talk about adoption, becoming members of God's family. And then we go on to sanctification, perseverance or remaining a Christian and then death, and then glorification. So that's the big picture, and that's where we stand in this series. Definition. And uh, do you have one of these outlines? I'm going to just... I had one myself, and I folded it up. Okay. Um, Adoption... Thanks, Gar. Is... uh, If you don't have an outline, hold up your hand. Okay, you're... Oh, I think... Are they on the back table? or They're just... Some people just had come in and maybe didn't get one. If you keep your hand in the air, we'll get one to you. Adoption. Oh, I forgot to tell you one other thing that happened. I had two other things I wanted to tell you. I, I, I haven't made this announcement for a long time. I wear this name tag as a reminder to ask you to wear your name tags. And I see a lot of you are wearing your name tags. But someone asked me again today, how do I get a name tag if I don't have one? And the answer is, there's a, an attendance roster that goes around. Am I saying this right, Bob? And on that attendance roster is the place to put a little mark if you need a name tag. All right? Is that helps me uh, call on you by name and know who you are. So that's number one. And the second thing is the seminary was across the street from Adrian Rogers Church, Bellevue Baptist. And so I got to go inside that and see a church three times larger than Scottsdale Bible Church. Incredible. I, it, was a, it was just, a, you know, a midday, a week, a Friday afternoon. But I got to stand up in the pulpit and look out and, oh, my goodness, what a huge, what a huge uh, sanctuary that is. And... So uh, that was kind of fun to see that. Okay, now back to the subject at hand. Um, Adoption, an act whereby God makes us members of his family. And I'm going to say that out of all these things that come to us as part of salvation, there are a lot of reasons to think that this is the greatest blessing of all. And uh, I'm going to explain what I mean by that in a few minutes. There are a lot of reasons to think this is a greater blessing than forgiveness of sins or being born again, the blessing of adoption. So, how can I say that? Well, we'll come to that in a few minutes. Scriptural evidences for adoption. The Bible talks about adoption in a number of places. Um, 
for instance, John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, that is Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's adoption, that we're children of God, we're sons and daughters of God. By contrast, Paul says before <clears throat> uh, these people were believers, by contrast, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. They hadn't experienced regeneration. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's different from being children of God. The sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not children of God, but children of wrath before we became believers. So that's, that's a different situation. The implication is, of course, uh, that Paul is talking to them as, as God sent God's uh, sons and daughters. Or Romans 8, 14 to 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Here's adoption. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, I'm just going to say a word about sons here. Um, there is a Greek word, huios, that means sons, and huioi, plural, means sons. And then there's another word, technon or techna, plural, that means children. Why does the Bible have, say that we're sons of God here and we're children of God here? Uh, why not just say children and be kind of inclusive throughout? Well, um, most translations, translations that are especially committed to a literal or word-for-word -word translation, they want to respect the difference between two different Greek words. <clears throat> there is a Greek word that means son, huios. It's distinct from the Greek word that means daughter, thugater. And so... If it says sons, the reasoning is, keep it sons in English because there's something being said here. And um, the thing to be preserved is the inheritance rights that came to sons in the ancient world. And so the, the momentous thing that the Bible is saying is that men and women both get the inheritance rights of sons in the ancient world, in the ancient culture. Not that you... Not that women become male or anything like that because it also talks about children of God and there are other places that talks about uh, sons and daughters. But when it says we're all sons, it's just telling us we've got that privilege that only went to sons in the ancient world to inherit the family property and the family privileges. And of course, if, if your father owns the whole universe, that's quite a lot to inherit. Um, so that's why the word son is, is kept here as a reminder that the privilege has come to all of us and all men and women who are led by the Spirit of God have that status of sons of God. Of course, that doesn't contradict or deny our masculinity and femininity, our manhood and womanhood, or the fact that we are sons and daughters both. In the spirit of adoption, and we're an uh, alternative way of saying it, and that's sometimes the New Testament says it this way, we are children of God as well. I see children is connected with inheritance here but in the ancient world and some places in the New Testament, sonship is con particularly connected with inheritance. And, and if you're all sons, then you have the inheritance rights and those rights as children 
then um, become ours. Number two, the status of adoption as God's children was not fully realized in the Old Covenant. So here we see, if we take an overview of the Bible as a whole, there were many blessings that God gave to his people in the Old Testament, many privileges, but this idea of being God's children was not as strongly emphasized. I'm not going to say it's completely absent, but it wasn't as strongly emphasized in the Old Covenant. There are a few cases where God is called Father, but this idea of a, of a very intimate, close, caring father-child relationship was not as strong or not as frequent. And in fact, Paul makes this contrast. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until when? Until Christ came. Now Paul sees that something different happened at the point when Christ came into the world. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, that is this new kind of New Testament faith in the Messiah who has arrived, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So no longer under a guardian, the, the law, but now sons of God through faith. One way that we know that, and we kind of know it in our hearts, is there's a testimony of the Holy Spirit, uh, an activity of the Holy Spirit that's saying, you're God's son, you're God's daughter, and the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to that and reassuring us of that. And here's what we, here's what we, uh, here's what we see in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, that is, I think that means over the course of centuries, from the time of Adam and Eve, when they sinned, and Cain and Abel, and then the flood, and Abraham, and the establishment of the uh, nation under Moses, coming into the promised land under Joshua, and then the kingdom under David and Solomon and all the kings. God is waiting, God is waiting, God is waiting. And then when the fullness of time had come, when all things in way of preparation had been completed, at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is an Aramaic word for Father. Father, Father. And then there's a Greek word here, but he's repeating himself, but in a different language. Crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here, sonship and inheritance are connected. But here the point is, the Spirit cries out, Father. The Spirit helps us to cry out and know that God is our Father and know that God is the Father who will protect us and care for us and see, look after our needs. That's really important. If you've had a wonderful earthly father, then you recognize that instinctively and you know what it is. But God is even better. But if, if you... Whoops. Lost. Okay. Um, but it, in some cases, and uh, I know that has been the case, sadly, in some cases you've had an earthly father who you know is not good, uh, who really did more harm than good, and uh, that's a sad memory in your life. But in that case, this may be even a more meaningful concept because 
children who know that their fathers are not what they should be have a longing in their hearts for a father who is better. They have an idea in their hearts of a father who is good. And here, this is the Holy Spirit telling us we can cry out to Abba, Father, the one who is so far, so much, so extremely much better than our earthly fathers. And that's a tremendous encouragement, tremendous comfort to to all believers, whether they've had good fathers or bad, that God is much better. The Holy Spirit cries out, Father, and we instinctively pray to God as Father in that way. But in another sense, <clears throat> now, I'm going to say that we receive adoption. Many of these verses say, we're, we're, right now, we're God's sons and daughters. We're adopted as, as his children. But in another sense, there's a, there's a sense in which our adoption is still future, or at least the full benefits of it are still future. There's this one verse that talks that way, Romans 8, 23. Uh, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here Paul looks forward to the day Christ returns when we get these new resurrection bodies and he's going to say, and he says, that's the full sense of our adoption. It, 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 we have the status now, but we'll get the full realization when we've got, um, I don't know, we, we talked about this one time, these, these uh, perfectly healthy, youthful bodies that, um, anyway, you can think of as, 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 as children who love to run and play and jump and don't have any... Uh, Hesitancy about falling and, and breaking an arthritic knee or hip or anything like that. It's just uh, the you know, full enjoyment of, of adoption as sons because our bodies are made new. And so there's one other sense of adoption, and that's one that's coming in the future. Okay, now, how do we understand adoption in detail with regard to the sequence of events that come in salvation? Adoption follows conversion and is an outcome of saving faith. This is maybe a little bit surprising because uh, regeneration has to do with being born again and born. You know, you think about a child being born. You might think that adoption would come from being born again. But the New Testament doesn't make that connection. It says it's, it's a blessing of saving faith, just like justification is an outcome of saving faith. So John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, there's faith, he gave the right to become children of God. It follows from faith. Galatians 3, 25 to 26. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under our guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So it follows saving faith. It's one of the things that God gives us is the status as sons and daughters. Now, someone says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't there a verse that disagrees with that? What about Galatians 4, 6? Because you are sons, as because you're adopted, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Someone might say, isn't that regeneration? And doesn't that mean that adoption comes before regeneration? My response to that is, that's kind of a little puzzle that someone might raise. My response is that Galatians uh, 4, 6 is best understood not to be the giving of the Holy Spirit at regeneration, but a later giving of the Holy Spirit, an additional activity of the Holy Spirit in which he begins to bear witness with our spirit to assure us that we are members of God's family. So that's just a, a little aside. Adoption is distinct from regeneration and distinct from justification. First, it's distinct from regeneration. Regeneration is being made spiritually alive to God. But just think a minute. Angels angels are spiritually alive to God. They dwell in his presence in heaven. They worship him. They're spiritually alive to God. But they don't have this privilege of being God's children. They're servants. But they're not God's children. 
And so that shows us that it's possible that God could have creatures who are spiritually alive without being members of his family, like angels. And so that shows us that this is an extra blessing that didn't have to happen. We could have been regenerated, born again, but not have the status of children, sons and daughters. We could have been born again and just become servants. See, not being family members. Just becoming people who stayed outside the intimacy of the family. So this is, a spe- this is why adoption should be seen as a special blessing. Second, adoption is distinct from justification. Justification is a right legal standing before God's law. It's like the declaration of a judge that says you're, you're innocent, you're not guilty. In fact, you're righteous. And adoption is our relationship with God as Father, and it's the source of many of our greatest blessings. And now again, um, um, God could have given us regeneration and justification without adoption. I suppose, in some sense, you could be born again, and you could be declared not guilty before God, but righteous, but still not welcomed into his family. Does that make sense? See... That's why I'm going to start to say here's a bigger privilege than forgiveness of sins. We could be sort of on some outer planet far from heaven. Righteous, spiritually alive, but not part of the family. Distant. Does that, does that make sense? So, so this is different from being justified. And I think it's an even greater privilege. So what are those privileges of adoption? What are the privileges of adoption? I've listed six here, but the first one has a lot of subpoints. The first one, the privilege of adoption, and we take these things for granted. We say, oh, this is just part of the Christian life. But no, it's special blessing. Number one, we're able to speak to God and relate to him as a good and loving father. Not just as judge, O oh, judge of the universe, See, not just as king, O king of the universe, we serve you, but as father, O father, we love you. We trust you, we depend on you to care for us, as a father cares for his children. It's different. And that means it reassures us that he loves us, for instance. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See, John wants to show how great God's love is for us. It isn't just that we're born again. It isn't just that we're forgiven. It's we're children. We're children of God. See how great God's love is. And if he's, if he's our father, it means he understands us. Sitting on the airplane coming back from... Memphis last night, and uh, there was a family with an 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old son, and why were they flying out to Phoenix? They were coming to see some spring training games. And the mom was saying, I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what's in store here, but that's what they wanted to do, so we decided that's what we're going to do. And what, um, what are they doing? She, she was wondering if there were any fun girl things to do in the Phoenix area besides going to these spring training games. Now, I know a lot of women like baseball, too, but she wasn't, didn't appear to be a fan. Um, but why are they doing that? Because their sons wanted to do it. 
And so as good parents, they wanted to do what their sons were interested in. As our Father in heaven understands us. So Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know, I've had thousands and thousands of students over the years, and I like, I like those students. I see Ben over here as a student in my class, for instance, and uh, a number of others. And they're all special to me. But you know what? More special than any, to any of them are my three sons. I, I care for them. I maintain a relationship with them. I maintain interest in them. Far more than even the students with whom I have an ongoing relationship. There's a special relationship that parents have with children. And so, this is what Psalm 103, and that is a little hint of adoption in the Old Testament, as a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So there's a father, fatherly compassion. And then um, another thing is, related to this, he takes care of our needs. The Gentiles seek after all these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we put on? The, father, the, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so Jesus is encouraging us to trust in God for our needs. So there's another thing. And it's especially when we have needs in this life that we go to God as Father. Say, Father, you understand these needs. I need your help. Then he gives us many good gifts, especially the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke 11:13 If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him and the implication is certainly other gifts as well and again we think of we could have been born again but God wouldn't give us gifts we could have been forgiven and we could have been justified but he wouldn't give us gifts but if he's our father and if we're his, we're his children how many of you who have children give gifts to your children? Yeah, well, it's 100%. People who have children give gifts to their children. That's what parents like to do, isn't it? If you have grandchildren, you give gifts to your grandchildren. So how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit and all the blessings that come along with the Holy Spirit to his children? Are you starting to feel special? Yes, Trish, yes. See one person nodding here. Okay. It should make us start to feel special. And it should begin to transform the way we think of our relationship with God, this idea of adoption. It, it gives us more faith in, him, in his giving us gifts and caring for our needs, doesn't it? I, I think this again and again is, is, um, is an emphasis. And then, some of you have done estate planning. Some of you have thought about what happens when you die. Who do you leave it to? Your Sunday school class teacher. <laughs> no, it goes to the children, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, he gives a great inheritance. And so God gives us a great inheritance. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And what is that inheritance? It's, it's, the, it's the whole kingdom. It's all the blessings of heaven. It's the new heaven and new earth in which we'll dwell. He's, made us, he's given us uh, many dwelling places in heaven. Uh, we have a, a, a great inheritance stored up that will never perish or fail or fade away, says 1 Peter 1. Uh, blessings, what no eye has seen, 1 Corinthians 2, 
nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Blessings beyond what we could imagine, designed by our Creator who knows better than we know what will bring us true joy and fulfillment and cause us to burst forth in praise and thanksgiving to him. That inheritance is, uh, is all the blessings of eternal life with God in heaven. And he gives that to us. And then, another evidence or another result or another thing related to uh, adoption as sons is he forgives our sins. Now, wait a minute. Didn't we say there was a forgiveness of sins in justification? Yes, there is. There's a legal forgiveness where God is judged as not guilty but righteous. But then we mess up from time to time. Even after we're justified, we make mistakes. We all stumble in many ways, says James, book of James. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the, and the truth is not in us, says First John. So we still sin in the Christian life. And the judge who's declared us not guilty forever, I mean, as far as he's concerned, the judge might say, well, you know, that's all covered by the blood of Christ, it's forgiven, so that's fine. But he wouldn't have any relationship with us. But we have also have a relationship with our Father. And so, because that's a relationship, we can do things that grieve him. Or displease him. Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12 talks about God's fatherly discipline. And so, not in the sense of eternal legal justification, but in the sense of restoring the relationship, Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So it's a daily prayer. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That has to do with adoption. That has to do with, though our Father loves us, we've done things that grieve him from time to time, and we need to pray, Father, forgive me. And he welcomes us back and forgives us. Not in the legal sense, but in the relational sense. And so, there, forgiveness is part of our adoption as well. Okay, so those are things about being able to speak to God and relate to him as a good and loving Father. You know, I'm going to stop there, because that's kind of a break before I go on to 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and see... If you want to give me some feedback here or some questions, Carol, <clears throat> Mike is coming. Are there any scriptures in the Bible that says that parents must give their estate to their children? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> why did I bring up that example? <laughs> I mean, I'm just asked, I'm just curious because. You know, a lot of okay. the children don't necessarily need it. Yep. We're yep. missions, and, and okay. there's a lot of worth while yep. causes. Um, okay, I'm going to give a tentative answer because well, my first answer is I'm not sure because I'd have to spend some time looking through different passages of the Bible. Um, I certainly think it's 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 right to do because. There are patterns of inheritance in the where you know inheritance passed on, especially in the Old Testament. 
but um, I don't think it's necessary. I'm going to give I'm going to give you a, a hesitant answer off the top of my head. I don't think it's required. Well, you could well you could imagine, for instance, a, hope it would never happen, but but a Christian family who's who had an only child who was just devoted to destroying the Christian faith and was promoting all sorts of immorality and sin. And they might say, no, um, I don't have an obligation in that case. So I, I, I probably not. Um, hmm. I read a book within the last six months called Splitting Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, and it's by Ron Blue, who has a lot of wisdom regarding financial matters. And Splitting Heirs, I thought it was really an excellent book, he basically said, parents, when you're thinking about what, how to leave your estate, you are stewards before God to use the resources wisely. That may or may not mean giving these things to your children, and it may mean there's unequal distribution to your children. And then he encourages parents to talk about that to their children beforehand. And so uh, I like the book, but I can't remember the Bible passages that he used in regard to that. Steve Oman, you, you've dealt with this. Are, are you are you going to help me with any Bible passages here? Oh, okay. Proverbs 13, 1? 1 and 2. Okay, let's try that. Wayne, while you're looking that up, uh, that book of Ron Blues, uh, the subtitle of that Splitting Heirs is... Uh, how to give things and money to your children without ruining their lives. Uh-huh. Yep. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, boy, oh boy, we just opened a can of worms, didn't we? <laughs> um, and, and Carol, uh, Margaret and I just recently went through this because Steve here does estate planning for people. He's been helping us. And um, we had to think through if we were to die, you know, don't plan to die tomorrow, but if we were to die tomorrow, um, what would happen to the resources we have? And we had to think through how much do we give to the Lord's work, how much do we give to each child, and how much do we give to any other source? That is not an easy question to answer. And it takes some prayer and some thought and some talking. And Margaret and I, you know, we, had, we started out in different places and we kind of talked it through. And um, it's a good thing to think about. But let's read the verse that Steve le- meant, mentioned. Proverbs 13:22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That was what... Yeah. So that means it can even go on to a second generation. I don't think that means it's always going to happen, but that's an expected pattern, would you say, Steve, or a common pattern? Say something that a good man does. Do you have any other thoughts? You want to give Steve the microphone here, see if he wants to say anything. In my experience, it's what most people do in their estate planning. Is uh, leave it to their children. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good question. Uh, E.G., you going to follow up on this? Uh, Just as a, a practical matter from my experience in the banking business, uh, you're not always doing a, a person a favor by suddenly giving them a lot of money. <laughs> and certainly that's one of the things to be taken into this 
consideration that you're talking about yeah. is uh, some of the worst things I've seen is where a lot amount of money is yeah. dumped on somebody yeah. and uh, they just don't deal with it wisely at all. Yeah, there's another proverb, and I'm not sure I can find it right now. An inheritance gotten quickly in the beginning will, in the end, not be blessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. John, I think probably another topic here. Right here. I think I'm wondering about, when you were talking about the Lord's Prayer, uh, I guess praying is a concern of mine, and, and uh, I know that, in, in a denomination I've been in all my life up until Scottsdale Bible Church, it was said regularly yep. quite a bit. Yep. Um, I'm wondering if, I probably know your answer already, but uh, I'm thinking, you know, saying that isn't just doing it. it. It isn't getting it done, is it? I mean, when you say the Lord's Prayer and you say, forgive my sins for, and I said, you know, trespasses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has to be from the heart. It has to be... Um, and, and Jesus said, pray like this, so you don't yeah. have to necessarily yeah. just say those words. Yeah. Okay, so you think you know my answer. So what, what is my answer? <laughs> I think you can't just say the Lord's Prayer and go, yep, yeah, I'm good, I'm out of here. Yep, yep, I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100%, John. You got it, yeah. you got it, you got it right. <laughs> See, this is a concern. I, I, maybe I just have almost like a heart for the, this denomination that I used to yeah. be in, I think to myself, I know I can see those people standing there because I was one of them. Yeah. Just saying that. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yep. <laughs> you know, just like, hey, yep. I, and, and I, you know, you're covered, man. You're out of here. Yeah. So <clears throat> just voicing words in prayer isn't enough. It's got to be uh, that your heart is in it. Yeah. And <clears throat> no, it can be that people who are in a denomination or a church where they say this week after week, it can be that their heart is in it for some of them. But but people can slip into just doing it by rote and. Good. Okay. Kathy, Mike. Doug. Wayne, can you clarify for me anyway? Did I hear you say that the justification of the the mighty grace of God sacrificing his son gave us the forgiveness up to that point? And then you think that adoption carries you for forgiveness after that point? Is that what you said? No. Um, I'm glad you asked that because there was a little so cloud in my mind when I started to say that. I said, am I going to be misunderstood here? And I, I think I'd better be careful. Justification is for all eternity. There is therefore now, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So from if I become a Christian uh, today on March 16, 2008, then for all eternity in the future, there is no legal guilt before God is judge. Uh, I'm, I'm counted righteous before him, okay? But then, over the top of that, kind of like, you know, on a graph, you'd have a red line that's justification and a blue line that would go right over the top of that that's a different thing. There's a relationship with God as Father that's distinct from God as, relating to God as judge. And the relationship is what we try to restore when we ask for daily forgiveness. Are, are you basing this then on your your collective feeling of the Bible as opposed? Is there a verse that actually? Well, um, I think Romans eight one. There's therefore no no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no there's none. And who shall lay anything against who charge against uh, who shall lay any charge against God's elect? In, is 
uh, in Romans 8 later on. And it's 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. And it's the fact that salvation is a free gift of God. Let me give an analogy. You and, you and Beth are husband and wife forever. That's not going to, for this whole lifetime, that's not going to change. I agree. Do you, <laughs> there we go. Okay. Beth is giving a big smile here. Okay. So legally, you're husband and wife. Does your relationship ever get messed up? And you've got to ask forgiveness for doing something wrong. No. Says, I, I plead the fifth on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure it does. I mean, from time to time, between husband and wife, you, 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 you do things that... And you, so even though legally you're married, relationally you've got to patch up the relationship. So that's kind of an analogy. Legally we're forgiven by God, but relationally we say, Father, forgive us our sins. Okay, does that, does that help? Yeah, I, I was just wondering if, if, if you, if I did misunderstand you, that, yeah. that there was a line yeah. that was drawn because I didn't no, understand that. No, good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, and I did have a second part of that, of which was, oh, um, but really, adoption cannot happen without any of the other previous things ever coming to be. Right. You can't. God. That's good. 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 God wouldn't adopt sinners and say, "Hey, welcome into my family, you unforgiven sinners." It's not going to happen, right. right? And and people, you and welcome into my family, you people who aren't born again and are spiritually dead and children of wrath like the rest of mankind. No, it's not going to happen. So good point. You got to have the, the other ones. But you, you were just saying about how how that adoption thing to you was, and to some, were, were, was just maybe more. It, it, it's it's extra special privilege. Extra special. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, I mean, if it were to stop before adoption, I'd have to say, I would have to. Praise God for his grace in, in, in the justification yeah. part. Yep, yep, Even yep, if adoption that, yep. never came. Yep, that's all good. Uh, but we might be like uh, R2-D2 or C-3PO off on some distant planet, not God's children. But uh, that's better than in hell. That help at all? <laughs> yeah. That's what? Better than being in hell. Correct. Where, where, where yes, you it do, is. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, uh, if, we're on the same page If here. we're picking rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. Good. And maybe I'm feeling a little bit of the same thing he's feeling over there. It's the idea of, of something being um, spiritual and yet, sorry, and yet not born of God or uh, adopted or a child mm-hmm. of God. It's, it's mm-hmm. not something I never really gave thought much before. Mm-hmm. But now that you've been bringing this up and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, like with the angels and stuff, I mean, my head and my heart is just spinning right now. And, um, um, you know, I've done so much reading and studying on how we are children of God or, yep. or children of the devil. Yep. And um, so, anyway, I, I guess I'll try and narrow it down to this one curiosity question. And, like, some places, like in the Psalms and so forth, um, you have the sons of God. That title is referred to like the rulers of the earth or yeah. the angels and so yeah. forth. What is the yeah. context? I and think that there? means. Uh, I think it's sons in a different sense, and uh, I think it means just pe- creatures, people who are made by God. Um, because because some there are a couple places in Job where the angels are called sons of God, and um, and I think Psalm 82, human government government is called okay, maybe called. So, yeah, there's another sense that doesn't mean full family membership, but just creatures. Um, it's a little muddy. Uh, muddy. It's a little, 
there, it's a case where we've got a category that doesn't quite overlap exactly with the terms in the Bible because they're used in different ways. But I still think the category is right. I want to go back to your earlier point, though, saying this is kind of a new idea, that we could be born again and justified without adoption. It's an artificial idea made up by me. Uh, well, I mean, others have talked about it, too. So, And it sounds strange to us because it doesn't really happen that way. And so I'm just saying it for sake of distinction to show how great the privilege is without saying it ever really happens that way. In God's wonderful plan, it all goes together. And that's our instinct, and that's right. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, well, as you know, since, since I'm a human and, and I'm certainly no, no angel, um, then it's, it, in some ways it's kind of, I don't have to worry about it that much, yeah. really, uh, uh, from, from an, an angel perspective, because I'm right, not Right, 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 right. So, and in fact, the whole, you get the whole package. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm going to say, next week there's another part of the package, and that is he changes us inside, makes us more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's sanctification. That's another blessing. Okay, and we might even add another one that he empowers us to minister and to live the Christian life. That's kind of related to sanctification. So there's blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Good, good, Thanks. good. Okay, Mike. Thanks, Bob. Um, I always saw the uh, privilege of adoption always was connected to the responsibilities of adoption too that we very significantly have and a, a favorite passage that related to that that I always saw connected to this uh, idea of adoption by God was First uh, uh, Peter 2, um, uh, 9 and then we're um, a broader context but uh, Peter tells us but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a wonderful light. I love the passage there that suggests that we are a royal priesthood, uh-huh. again connoting that special adoption status that connects us to the king. Huh. I like that a lot, Mike. Uh, and I didn't have this in the outline, but when you think of normal parents' relationship to children, it's not just giving presents. It's not just caring for needs. It's giving responsibility, isn't it? And it's expecting that they'll, they'll, they'll learn to work and, and become part of the... Well, of course, the, think back to a farm family. Everybody's got chores. And uh, in a modern family that's not an agricultural family, a, a functioning family that's functioning rightly, every child should have some responsibility as they grow up and are able to take care of that too. So yeah, that's great. That's great. And so, but, but what a joy that our work in the kingdom then is family work. So that's that's good, yeah. And the privilege of praising God and yeah, oh, a lot of good, a lot of responsibility. Okay, should we go on? Um, so uh, privileges of adoption. Are, are are you starting to get some sense of how rich this is? This is there's there's a huge amount of blessing here. So re- review, we relate to God as a father. So He loves us. He understands us. He takes care of our needs. He gives us good gifts. He gives us a great inheritance. He forgives our sins in a relational sense. And I would add G now, after Mike's comment, he gives us responsibilities to, to serve him and, and the privilege of serving him. Number two, uh, there is a verse that relates adoption to being led by the Holy Spirit. So Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Um, I don't know that the parent-child relationship 
is directly connected to this, but uh, but Paul connects it there in that verse. So um, day by day, as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, it's it's a way of God. I suppose it's parental guidance by God. It's it's Him as Father saying, "Son, daughter, this is the way I want you to to walk or to act." Then number three, God disciplines us as His children. Um, if we think of discipline in the context of adoption and we think of it in, in the context of family discipline, then we realize if your children didn't discipline them, there's trouble. <laughs> right? I hope I'm not getting disagreement here. Children need discipline. They, they need discipline as they're growing up and we bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, so... God, our Heavenly Father, because we are not sinless, we are not yet perfect, He disciplines us. And this is viewed as an expression of His love. You know that, those of you who have raised children. Discipline is really an expression of love. Because you don't want your child to run across the street and get run over by a car. So you discipline the child to stop when you say stop. That's an expression of a discipline is an expression of love. So, Hebrews 12, 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the, dis- the Lord disciplines the one he hates. Doesn't say that, Carol. What does it say? Uh, that's right. The Lord... I just want to see everybody's awake. For, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So that also, uh, and that would be, I mean, we could spend a whole hour talking about the blessing of God's discipline, the, the painful blessing sometimes, but the blessing for our good. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Okay, number four, we have the privilege of sharing both in Jesus' sufferings and in his subsequent glory. And if I were to just talk about the blessings of adoption, I suppose my temptation, my tendency would be to say, oh, think of all the blessings of heaven, the inheritance we're going to have in heaven, all the good gifts that God's going to give us, all that good stuff that's pleasant to hear about. But if I'm going to be faithful to the Bible, I have to say there is this other passage that connects suffering as a Christian with the privilege of adoption. So... I'll go back to um, Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The hardships that come to us in the Christian life, and there will be for all of us, hardships that God allows in our lives, It is reassuring to think that Christ, as a son, also suffered. Suffered more than we're going to suffer. But then when we suffer, we suffer with him. We suffer in fellowship with him. And that makes it bearable. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him uh, when he returns. Then... Another gigantic, gigantic blessing is if we are sons and daughters of the living God, 
then we relate to one another as members of God's family. And here, 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2, um, Paul says, <clears throat> just think of the family picture of the church here. Paul says to Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a... What's he going to say? As a father. Don't rebuke an older man. Encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. Isn't that interesting? Timothy's relationships in the church are family relationships. And so, uh, I, <laughs> some of you have brothers and sisters that you get along well with. I hope you all have brothers and sisters you get along well with. I know it always doesn't go that way. Uh, but when you do have brothers and sisters that you get along well with, transfer that picture to the people you're sitting next to or in front of or behind here in the class this morning and think, oh, these are my brothers and sisters. Now, that really does transform the relationship. You're part of the same family. And that means we're not competing against one another. We're cooperating with one another. We're helping each other, doing different parts of the family business. And we care for one another as brothers and sisters. And then sixth, we, as children, imitate one, we imitate and honor our Father in heaven. Um, <clears throat> I remember one day when I was, uh, I, I don't know, just how these moments stick in your mind. But, but I, was, I was at home, I think it was in the morning, I was doing some exercises in the morning, my son Oliver came up. And he started doing exactly the same exercise I was doing. If I was stretching and touching toes, he was stretching and touching toes. So on it went, because he's imitating. Kids do that. And then while we're doing that, we're, we're exercising, and he knew that I was a teacher and that I, I was teaching Greek at the time. So he said, oh, Daddy, I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. I said, what are you going to do, Oliver? I'm going to be a teacher. Oh, Oliver, I'm going to teach Greek. <laughs> Why, can I just recently brought him into the class so that kids could, you know, little kids could recite the Greek alphabet to encourage beginning students that they could learn the Greek alphabet as well. So then he saw that I taught Greek, so then he wanted to teach Greek. Then that way children are. There, there's, a, there's an age anyway in which they love to be imitators. And so we, as God's children, imitate him. So in the same way, Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, that is, we, we act like God and people say, oh, that's what God is like, and they give glory to him. Philippians 2, 14 to 15, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So our imitation of God uh, gives evidence of our status as children. I didn't put this on the overhead, but... Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. It's on your outline there, Ephesians 5.1. So lots and lots of privileges of adoption, all related to this relationship to God as our Father. We speak to him, he cares for us, he loves us, he understands us, we relate to each other. Don't, don't you think it's a great privilege? It's a wonderful thing, this blessing of adoption. Any other just comments or feedback or questions? Here, um, Sandy. Hold on just a minute. We'll get it on there. I have just a question about what appears to be, in English in any way, oh, Greek teacher, 
Um, <laughs> a conditional clause in um, <clears throat> Romans 8:17, <clears throat> where <clears throat> it says, uh, and this is New King James, and if God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer, and in the ESV it's provided. That mm-hmm. appears in English to be a conditional clause um, that it, it makes it sound that it is our suffering with him that makes it possible for us to be children and heirs. And I, um, <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't, I've never believed that, and yeah. I, you've certainly not taught <clears throat> that. And uh, but it appears to be that way in this verse. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's just one, Sandy. Of it's a good, good question. It, it is. It is. It, there is an if. In fact, there's. It's a. There's an emphatic if. There's a. a, a, a it's a pair. It's not just if. It's if indeed. It's a strong if. But it's one of many passages that say. If you're a Christian, you're going to act like this. If you're a Christian, you're going to do this. If you're a Christian, you're going to walk in obedience. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit bearing witness. If you're a believer, the, the, you have the Holy Spirit guiding you. Um, and um, uh, James, if you don't have works, is not through faith. And this one, it's just that one other evidence of being a Christian is suffering with Christ. So I put it in that category. We're going to get a whole collection of that, those verses in three or four weeks when we talk about perseverance and what are the evidences of being a genuine believer. But it looks like this is one of them. Wish, you know, there's something in me that says, oh, I, don't, I wish that verse wasn't there. But then I have to rebuke my heart and say, well, it's there, it's God's word, it's good, so I can't say I wish it wasn't there. I can say my initial response was I wish it wasn't there, but I've got to correct my heart because it's the word of God, and so I, I love it, <laughs> even though it's a challenge. Good. Yeah. One, one other way in the back. I forgot your name back there. What's you your said, name? You said in the beginning that adoption was extra special. And to me, it, what makes it extra special is the fact that you can't be unadopted. Ah. Oh. Just like the prodigal son yeah. never stopped being a son. Oh, good. And it was eventually oh, restored. But once okay. you're adopted, you're always adopted. You can't be unadopted. I don't know who learns more in this class, you or me. You can't be unadopted, of course. A great blessing. A great help. Yeah, th- well, tell me your name. Yeah. I've met you. Yeah, Tim, yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks. Anything else? Okay, well, one more back here. Tell me your name. Betty. Betty. Um, I just wanted to share my own personal imagery. My family has just gone through... Uh, the adoption process, yep. and it is a hard and painful mm. road. Yeah. But the day that that little one comes, <laughs> my heart just burst. Uh-huh. And I have to feel that uh, I really believe that God sees us in our struggle, the hard, painful road, until we commit ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then how joyous yep. he must be, even though he knows, as I know, my little one is going to do a lot of bad stuff, <laughs> yep. uh, he still has that joy. And you'll never forget that yep. day Good. when we committed Good. to him. Beautiful. Wonderful, Betty. Thank you. Okay, I'll tell you what. We've got a kind of a special treat here in that <clears throat> last week we talked about justification, about standing before God clothed in Christ's righteousness, 
forgiven by the, the, the blood of Christ representing his death and clothed in his righteousness, which he gives to us, his perfect record of righteousness. And I had a hymn that had to do with justification, and I skipped over to the adoption hymn. So I'm going back to the justification hymn today, and it's, it's written by Nicholas von Zinzendorf, a, a, mora- a very wealthy uh, noble in Germany who was a uh, Moravian, this uh, pietistic group that emphasized prayer and singing of many hymns, and he took into his uh, estate many, 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 many of these Moravians who uh, were not really favored by society. And uh, this is Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, that is, I think, a picture of the fires, uh, attesting fires, in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. I, those judgment fires aren't going to touch us because the blood, of, blood and righteousness of Christ cover us and protect it. How are you going to feel when you stand before God for judgment? Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who ought, who anything to my charge shall lay. Uh, it, it's a really strong hymn on justification. And I want us to sing that and picture ourselves standing before God, clothed in Christ's righteousness without fear. So I think we're going to sing that. And do you know... Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Do you know that hymn? My beauty are my glorious dress. How many people know that hymn? Uh Uh-oh, we might not sing it. I'm going to try again. (laughs) Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. How many people have heard that before? We're going to read this together out loud. All right, we're going to... Huh? I, no, I, I, I can't do that. Right. We'll maybe pass out the music next week. Let's read it out loud, and then we'll sing the adoption hymn. All right. <clears throat> Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay. Fully absolved through these I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. When from the dust of death I rise to claim my mansion in the skies, e'en then this shall be all my plea. Jesus hath lived, hath died for me. Jesus be endless praise to thee whose boundless mercy hath for me, for me a full atonement made, an everlasting ransom paid. Oh, let the dead now hear thy voice, now bid thy banished ones rejoice. Their beauty this, their glorious dress, Jesus thy blood and righteousness. Now we're going to stand and sing the adoption one. Children of the Heavenly Father, let's do this. Our Father, we we come to you as Father. Father who loves us, who knows our needs, who cares for us, who protects us. A Father who disciplines us. Who gives us good gifts. Who stores up treasure for us in heaven. Who will never leave us or forsake us. And we come to you as brothers and sisters, 
in a great family that you have brought together, brothers and sisters forever, Lord. And we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for these innumerable blessings of adoption, for this great privilege that is ours. We give you praise and thanks as your children. Amen.